and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of Witts University in Johannesburg, South Africa. Very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. Kobus, today we're going to be taking on the rather sensitive, complicated, emotional, um, sometimes perplexing issue of what it's like to be black in China. And this is not just an issue confronting Africans in China, but also people of, uh, you know, black people from from the United States, from the United Kingdom, from all over the world who live in China. And this complex issue of racism and the difficulties that a lot of black people face in China. And for that, we are going to be joined by two very, very interesting guests. But before we get to that, Kobus, it's an issue that you and I have talked about a number of different times. And one of the things that we find is that in different parts of China, people have very different experiences, particularly from north to south. And we followed the work of Roberto Castillo on the AfricansInChina.net blog quite a bit. And in places like Guangzhou, there is this incredibly dynamic and diverse and thriving African culture and community that's going on. But it also faces a lot of pressures and difficulties. Yes. And I think anyone who's spent a lot of time in East Asia, not only in China, but like I have in, in Japan, for example, you know that there is a certain level of stress that comes with standing out visually um, because of racial differences. But you know, pe- people of color, people who are not white, I think, in, in my experience, have, have faced harder times in Japan than in than, than white guys like I have. Um, you know, kind of, and, and I think that's the reality in China as well. Yeah, no doubt. Well, let's get some perspective on this. And again, just thrilled to have two really fascinating guests on our show today. First, we're joined by Nicole Bana, who is a Beijing-based journalist and also one of the, the, the journalists behind the Black Lives in China, the Emerging Black Orient blog. And you can find that at blacklivesinchina.wordpress.com. A very good evening to you, Nicole. Good evening. And Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Nicole, you are in the process of kind of putting together a documentary, and one of the subjects in your documentary uh, is Tiffany, who's an educator who's also who also lives in Beijing. Tiffany, thank you so much for joining us. Tiffany thank Johnson. Thank you for having me. And Tiffany, Hello. You, yes, you are from uh, Philadelphia in the United States, so again, a long ways away from home. Uh, Nicole, let us start with you right off the bat. Uh, you have a blog called Black Lives in China. Why don't you tell us, what, what is the blog? What is it like to be black in China today? Well, the blog is supposed to kind of reflect um, the everyday lives of uh, people of color living in China in different kinds of cities. Um, I've been in China since 2013, and the inspiration really came from my own personal experiences and me wondering what were the experiences of other people of color here? What were their challenges? What were their highs, their lows, uh, their work situations? Because it differs in your work and social life, how things play out here in China being black. So I decided to do a little bit more research and start um, trying to find people that were willing to share their narrative, really, their story. And that's what the blog is is about. Um, there's two articles on there at the moment that are related to the documentary that I'm making. Um, it's called The Black Orient, and uh, it's a four-part series. And so the first one is about uh, four girls that also have a blog here. And they're academics here in Beijing studying Chinese studies and also a Chinese native artist who I met in Guangzhou. So it's all about how this is reflected in the lives of not just black people, but also how academics are responding to uh, more black people kind of being in, in different kind of concentrated areas like Guangzhou, for example. 
and how local artists and, and Chinese society is responding to it as well. And in you know, kind of, it's it's very interesting how you your work is ranging across, you know, different communities of wider kind of African origin. You know, some people arriving directly from Africa, and some people of color coming from the UK or the US. How are those? If you break mm-hmm. the, the community into those two big groups, um, how is it different to be Black African in China than to be Black and from somewhere else um, when you're living in China? Absolutely. Absolutely. I would say yes, um, there is a big difference. And uh, when I first started doing my research, um, I came across the um, growing African migrant community in Guangzhou. And I thought, wow, I thought I had a lot of challenges, um, you know, coming from where I'm coming from as a, a black Britain, British person. And I realized that their kind of narrative was completely different to mine and didn't really resonate with me as much as I thought it would. And um, I went to Guangzhou for four days of filming about three weeks ago, and I met with some of the elders there um, because in each African uh, community, Ghanaian, Nigerian, etc., they have their own principal leaders, state leaders or presidents that are elected and uh, spoke to them a little bit about what's going on in Guangzhou and how they're feeling about things. Uh, like visa issues and, you know, the right to kind of uh, their residency permits and things like that, how easy it was living there and integrating into society. And it was completely different to some of the experiences that I've heard of in cities like Beijing with other black professionals from different from different nations other than Africa. And um, they have, even though, we, even though we do have our challenges, it's quite different from, from the African migrant communities. Tiffany, you know, you're living in China today where a lot of people, when we bring up the issue of race, particularly black and African issues in China, uh, the instant kind of reaction that we'll get on forums like on Weibo or on uh, Facebook is that, well, Chinese people are racist. And that's just that's the bottom line. People come out and just say it. You know, they don't they don't kind of mince words. I'm just kind of curious um, in your experience that you've been there for a couple years now. um, How would you describe the kind of reaction that you get and some of the kind of difficulties that Chinese people have in kind of interacting with with multiculturalism. Yeah, so I think um, what I really realized, and I didn't actually, I think, come to this conclusion until after some time being here. In the beginning, I, I had that first kind of assumption as well. Oh, it's just racism. Um, they don't like me because of because of this. And after my time here, I'd say maybe like six to eight months, I really realized, and when I started to teach um, in a bigger school uh, where I had more English-speaking parents, um, more English-speaking students who could explain, I really understood that they just, it was just lack of exposure. They had no idea um, that, you know, there could be someone like me who looked like me, who was a teacher, who spoke English, who, you know, they, they just had this kind of already painted picture of what a black person was and had never experienced a black person, let alone, definitely not an African-American. And, you know, they just were, I, I understood that it was just lack of exposure. They had no idea what to expect or what to think, only what they may have seen once or twice or a couple times on television. But not often enough to have a true picture of the variety of African-Americans and blacks around the world. 
And I wonder, you know, kind of what were some of these media images? I mean, I, this is, you know, as a media person, I always wonder, like, what is the actual impact of media on the way that Chinese people perceive people of color? Oh, I was wondering, as, as Tiffany was explaining about the whole lack of knowledge and purely some, some things are based on ignorance, um, I was thinking that the images that are projected and what kind of Chinese, the image that people see on their screens, their TV screens, on billboards and in music and things like that, um, there's this massive um, disparaging kind of uh, idea of what black people are or what blackness is all about. Um, and I think that does contribute to some of the prejudice or the, or the perceptions, the preconceived ideas that some Chinese may have about, about black people. And I think also um, really it's one, you know, the, the images like Nicole is saying that, that they're seeing are either all similar or there's just not enough of them to portray an accurate picture of, like she said, what, what African, what black people are. Um, because I had encountered my landlord when I first moved in actually thought I was just a tan white person um, because of the complexion, because I'm more fair skin. And she thought I was, you know, a farmer in America because she had <laughs> never encountered or even seen, I guess, and not never have seen in a picture or anything, um, a lighter skinned black person. So she thought I was a white person who was tan. And so that just kind of, you know, it just made my eyebrows go up and my jaw hit the floor. I was just like, are you serious? <laughs> so, and that just told me right there that it was just really lack of exposure. She had no idea that there could be someone who was my complexion, who was American, but not white. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm not as familiar with Nicole's home country in the, in the UK and in, in London and the situation when it comes to race, because it's very different than it is in the United States and even in South Africa, where race remains this very, you know, raw issue that's very close to the surface. And, you know, almost everything passes through the filter of race in the United States and South Africa. Uh, I mean, we're seeing this in the United States today where racial politics are very much on display. And I guess, you know, for China, it's a very different situation because this is a country that is 98.5 or 98.6 percent Han ethnic Chinese. Um, this is not a multicultural society. These are people who, for the most part, as Tiffany pointed out, have never had the experience of interacting much less with people who are black, but white or anybody else for that matter. And so I guess, you know, first I'll start with you, Nicole, and then Tiffany, I'd like to get your feedback on this as well, is when you kind of run into people's kind of negative kind of vibes, um, do you attribute that to some kind of conscious racism or do you attribute to what some of the issues that Tiffany was pointing out, which is just the ignorance and maybe some of the negative impressions that people have picked up from Hollywood movies about Africans and African-Americans? And, and is it easy to kind of get past that to a point where people are more kind of reasonable? Yeah, um, I would say that most of the time it is just ignorance um, and lack of knowledge really about about different um different races and most of my experiences here it's been funny you know that i have to laugh about some of the situations that probably tiffany would will be able to relate to um for example when i first came i was teaching media studies and um, i sent over my cv and i realized there wasn't a, a picture 
Um, I soon, like, uh, soon afterwards, I made sure that my picture wasn't every CV that I sent out just to avoid some of the things that I first experienced when I came. But initially, they would look at my CV and I would get an email and, hello, um, I'd like to meet you for a Skype interview, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I would get back to them. They would ask for a picture first. I would send them a picture and then I wouldn't really hear anything. So I would pursue it a little bit more and kind of persuade them to see me on Skype. Um, and before they would talk to me on Skype, they would ask for a video um, of me speaking to prove that I could speak English and that I was truly um, an English, a native English speaker. And, you know, comments like, you know, does your, you know, does that color rub off? Like people coming up to me and touching me, touching my hair and asking me questions. And it's, it's more kind of curiosity, a blend of curiosity and ignorance about the situation. And it also depends on what province you're in, what city you're in, where you are, um, it, it all differs depending on where you are in China as well. But it's definitely not malice or um, there's a conscious, you know, racist attitude towards black people. That's not been my experience. Um, it's just purely them needing to know more and wanting to know more in most cases. Yes, I agree completely. I think that really ultimately it's due to ignorance. That's just the lack of knowledge about it. Um, I've experienced very similar things as, as Nicole has said. Um, I think what happens is why some people get so frustrated um, is because of the culture difference, especially, I, I can only, you know, talk from an American's perspective, but, you know, in America, it's really not culturally acceptable to stare or point or touch without talking to someone or asking permission. And so I think what happens is because that is okay here in China, that's not only, you know, a culture difference, but it's like crossing those personal boundaries that as an American, you just kind of don't feel like you should, you are able to accept. And I think the ignorance, you know, with combined with that culture difference, you know, I've had people point at me and laugh at me and, you know, stare at me like, mouth wide open and touch me without asking or like she said touch my hair or you know tell me that you know they wouldn't have hired me because I was black or things like that and you know those are things that just would not fly in America you you, you know like it would be a big issue so I think when people don't think past the fact that culturally they're not aware that those things are unacceptable to us and then on top of that with the lack of knowledge that they have about blacks the two coincide and just kind of create a, a bad situation for those people who can't step past that um it makes it quite difficult i think well it's interesting because i lived in china in the in the 90s and into the early 2000s when there weren't even many white people in china at that time and that was very much the experience that i got as well and even here in vietnam being a white person as kobus pointed out being a white person in, in japan um, you know, you still get a lot of that, you know, a lot of the staring. My son is six years old and you can't believe when he was a baby here and two years old, people would just come up and touch and take pictures and there was no kind of personal space whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Um, Kobus, I'd like to kind of get your thoughts on what we've heard so far, because I think from you and I, you know, as an American and as a South African, when the issue of race comes up, it's sometimes difficult for us to put aside again, the politics of race that, are, that make us so hypersensitive to the issues that, that, that Tiffany and Nicole have brought up. I guess I'm pleasantly surprised to hear that there isn't the malice behind it. And I think when, when people outside of China kind of hear of the stories and the difficulties that 
that people of different races, not just black, but others encounter in China, they oftentimes will put on their American filter or their South African filter. Tell me what you're thinking when you're hearing the kind of different stories that, that Nicole and Tiffany are kind of recounting. It's very interesting for me because, as you say, you know, kind of in South Africa, there is a script that you would that that you kind of mentally follow when you hear this kind of story, like, oh, this is so appalling, this is so racist, this, you know, kind of, um, and so on. You know, the what, what I was wondering, listening to both of your stories, was to which extent, to to flip it over, to which extent is racism a thing? What I what I mean is, to which extent is it a useful word in China, to which extent is it a word that people can understand what it is and can apply to themselves or apply to other people? To which extent does it make sense to Chinese people to say, oh, this is very racist of you, or to think of themselves as experiencing racism? Um, you know, kind of, to, to which extent is that, is that concept, you know, kind of flying around in the, in the discourse in China, and to which extent does, is, is racial difference just coded in a, in a different kind of way? That's a really good question, and it's quite a complex answer, to be honest with you. I don't think it's black and white. Um, I have been in some situations where I have genuinely felt that I have been the victim of just outright racism. Um, it's been very few times, but I have felt it, and I, have, I, I believe that in those situations, that's what you know, the discrimination was. Um, and, but, but most of the time, like, as I said before, it's not been that kind of conscious um, attack, you know, just because of the color of my skin. Um, I don't know. I mean, for me in China, I've lived in North China, I've lived in South China and somewhere in the middle. I've traveled quite a bit around China. And I found that even within uh, the eth uh, Chinese um, ethnic minorities that are here in the country, in this country, there's uh, these kind of racist attitudes towards their own people as well, depending on what kind of ethnic background they have. Um, I don't know if they're consciously aware that it's racism or whether that concept is clear here. Uh, that that's I, I, I have to I'd have to uh, think about that some more. I'll tell you, I don't but, think it um, is because do. they don't have a concept of race. Because when you live only among one kind of people, race is really an abstract. And so, think, and so the difference then becomes rather like inside and outside. Like you know, you know, again, like China being a center, the center of the world in, in the old cliche. And so you're either in there or you're not, basically. This, I think it's more the fact that otherness, otherness is, is what I like to, if, if it's not racism, it's just this preoccupation and uh, just not knowing this, not knowing this otherness that's present. It's not them. It's not like them. Uh, doesn't move like them. Doesn't talk like them. Doesn't look like them. And I think that is a, that is a, a point to be made. Now, Nicole, you're producing a documentary, that uh, a, a TV documentary, I presume, uh, and in some of the episodes, you're really, again, getting to some very interesting yet sensitive issues. Let's talk about interracial love in a episode three that you label Yellow Fever. Tell us about that. Yeah, um, that actually came from when I started to speak, speaking to um, some of the people I made connections with in Guangzhou. Um, I was really surprised to see. I mean, Guangzhou is there's an un, you know they've got an estimated two hundred thousand. That's the number that's out there of African migrants in Guangzhou, but um, it could be a lot less. It could be a lot more. We're not sure. But over fifty percent of the African migrant community in Guangzhou are Nigerian men, 
And when I, met, when I went there and I went to their place of worship, Sacred Heart Cathedral, in the middle of the city, um, I couldn't believe the amount of uh, mixed-race children that I saw running around and um, African and Chinese couples. Um, and majority of the couples that were there were Chinese black couples. And I just thought, wow, what does this mean in terms of like how the family functions in these social spaces here in church gatherings, but also in work and how it extends into family and the acceptance of Nigerian culture, which is so, so different to Chinese culture, really, really different. And um, I thought to myself, how do they negotiate with that? How do they negotiate with each of these two very different cultures and I where does it come from is it true love are they marrying so they can have security here and set up shop and do the things that they need to do to carry cargo in and out of China because there are a lot of issues with the visa process as well or are people genuinely coming here building lives falling in love um, as complex as it can be, um, trying to override those things, override those challenges and integrate fully into Chinese society. And that's where the, the, the yellow fever concept came from. And I thought it was worth exploring. Tiffany, in, in, in your experiences as a teacher, um, to, to which extent do you, do, in, in dealing with children particularly, how, how do you see the children relating to you? And is it easier for children to accept diversity or, or like, you know, kind of in, in relation, in contrast between their parents and the children themselves? Um, how are you treated differently by these two groups? Um, I actually feel that the, the children have... Um, as they have encountered me as the teacher, you know, as being a a black teacher and something different than they've ever seen. I know a lot of them, when I first started teaching, asked, you know, are black people teachers too? You know, and so I had to tell them, you know, this. I experienced a lot of difficulty with, you know, with the parents in the very beginning, very nervous about my skills and, and things like this. Um, it was very soon after that everybody kind of relaxed and they were, you know, it was very quick that they realized, oh, okay, this is okay. We're, there's, there's no problem here. And ever since that point, and I would say it was about six months, maybe five, five months for the beginning of the year that they were kind of nervous about, you know, whether a black person could teach, you know, it, and that was really the case just because they just had no idea that that was a thing. And after that, they have been so accepting of diversity. My kids will, you know, talk about disability. I'm a special education uh, certified teacher as well. And so a person with a disability um, of any other ethnicity, they are all just so accepting. And they have brought their parents into that as well. Um, I'm actually, um, my fiance is actually white American. And so they didn't even, for my kids, that didn't even register for them that, you know, for, to them, we're both just Americans um, after they figured out that, you know, after they saw who he was. So it was, it's just kind of interesting how that the time that it took for them to be accepting of it was so much shorter than I feel like what it would be in America where you still kind of have that, uh, where the parents are still kind of firm on what they believe. Once the, par- once the parents saw that the kids were like, oh, this is fine, no problem, the parents were pretty accepting. Now, most of uh, the parents that, you know, parents of my students are younger. Um, so their parents were, I think, are still kind of questioning things, even at this point, at, you know, over a year in. And 
But the, the generation of, you know, the students I have now and their parents seem to be okay once they have some knowledge and um, get a background of, you know, diversity and, and seeing that it's, that's all it is. It's just diversity. There's no bad thing about it. There's, you know, it's just being exposed. Nicole, let me put the last question to you and just kind of picking up on what Tiffany's talking about with the generational differences. You know, so much is 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 different depending on what generation in China you're talking to. And I think for it's difficult for people sometimes to understand this because if you are a 60-year-old and above person in China, your childhood was defined by the Cultural Revolution. Your, defi- your childhood was defined by poverty, by violence, by misery. And you didn't have, I mean, you came from nothing. And that is the truth for every single Chinese person without exception who lived in China itself. And yet, if you are part of the kind of post-90s, post-zeros generations, you know, who grew up with the internet, who grew up with an ever-expanding economy, who grew up with, you know, a lot more exposure, your values are, are so radically different. And I think for outsiders, particularly in the West, where the generational different is, difference isn't always as stark as it is there, the values are radically different. So, for example, in the ivory issue, we see a big, big gap between how young people see the ivory issue and how older people see it. Older people hold on to the idea that it's part of the tradition. Younger people tend to kind of recognize that it's violence towards animals. And I guess I'm just curious about whether you see these sharp lines in the generations when it comes to race. Absolutely, I do. And I think Stephanie made a really good point. Um, My career in China first started out as as an educator myself and as a teacher and um, the young people that I taught were really open-minded and obviously they're exposed to a lot of things that their parents their grandparents haven't been exposed to and in my experience here there has been this embrace um, (laughs) of me and my blackness if you will um, from the younger generation and it is harder kind of to tap into building connections and relationships with people of a different generation. Um, so I think, for example, uh, the work that I do now with working as a foreign editor for a network here, um, attitudes in the newsroom um, are really, really strange because on one side we call them what we say the laoshe, so the teachers of the newsroom, and they're kind of the um, the the generation of news reporters um, that you know they're probably like fifty and above, and then you've got the uh, sub editing team, and they're made up of generally young, um, fresh out of university fresh out of university students, and then we come in as foreigners. And it's so interesting to see how that plans out and how uh, how they write the news, how they want the news written, their kind of principles, their values that should be a part of the narrative of what we do in the newsroom and um, how I'm treated differently. Um, there's always a level of respect throughout the newsroom there, but it's so interesting that Uh, They look up to the older generation, what they say goes, Um, there's a a slight acceptance of new things, but traditions and the way that the customs that they're used to, those are fundamental and those are important, they always come first. In terms of welcoming me, they've been really lovely, um, but they do have, they are more standoffish. 
and uh, more, you know, less likely to be as open as the younger people that I deal with on a day-to-day basis. You know, Kobus, this this conversation today really reminds me of our discussions that we had with uh, Zambia-China scholar Solange Chadelach many years ago, who was talking about marriage customs between Chinese and Zambians. And one of the things she pointed out was that at the local level, on the ground, a lot of the issues that we hear about racism and whatnot are melted away. I mean, people are what people are. And when people live next to each other, no matter what country you're in, um, marriages form, relationships form, sex happens, all sorts of things happen. And that's just natural human nature, no matter where you are in the world. And so I actually, am, you know, I came into the show thinking we were going to hear kind of a whole lot of hostility. <laughs> I thought we were going to hear a lot of negative, negative experiences because that's what the, the meme is about being African and black in China. And it's very exciting and encouraging to hear what both Nicole and Tiffany are saying. Kobus, what are your final thoughts on this? Yes, I, I completely agree. It's 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 quite heartening, it, despite it also sounding really, really tough to, to actually, you know, kind of live through. Um, at the same time, you know, I, I agree that, you know, South Africa is this, this kind of very negative example of the only way that racism was really formally entrenched in South Africa was by physically keeping people different and essentially making them as different as possible, even though they lived in the same place. So, you know, kind of the, the post-apartheid experience in South Africa has, has seen a lot of problems and a lot of conflict and a lot of unresolved issues. But at the same time, um, uh, you've, you've also seen a very strong convergence of cultures and people slowly but surely developing a shared culture. What I'm very interested in seeing is to which extent that will happen in cities like Guangzhou um, and how that will shape China's culture as a whole in the future. Tiffany, you said you're going to stay in China, you think, another two years maybe, a couple more years. When you go back to the United States, where obviously race is an issue that we all like to talk about, think about, not necessarily in the most positive context, what are you going to tell people about your time in China? Um, I think it's important to kind of convey that though the same kind of what what some people may perceive as the same kind of racism um, due to the fact that, you know, you are pointed out, you are, you know, you are known that you are different. They know you are different, that even though that um, you, you realize that it doesn't kind of the response is not as hostile as America. You kind of come to the conclusion that, uh, you know, it's really the fact that people don't know, that, that, that they don't know. And then the difference between, I think, Chinese, you know, uh, the, the Chinese people and Americans are that most Chinese people, once they figure out, you know, that you are a person that, you know, you can teach or you have your profession, it kind of moves along. There's not this kind of always assumption that, oh, it's, we're going back to racism. And I think that's what, what happens in America. So I think educating people in America that, listen, you know, there's actual reasons for, you know, the racism in China. It's because people don't know. And once they're educated, it, people get over it. You know, I live in, in, a, in an apartment complex, which is mostly full of, you know, people who grew up in villages. So a lot of older people. And they are like, you know, they're like my aunts and my uncles. They, I'm just, I'm like one of the local people here. Um, and so, but I don't know if that would actually happen in America. And I think that educating them that, you know, it's the same concept um, and realizing that it is that easy to just kind of, you know, accept it and realize that, you know, people are people. 
ultimately. Interesting. And Nicole, you're putting together this documentary. When can we expect to see something? Because all of us really are kind of going to follow your development on this program. What's your timeline on this? Well, originally I had a six-month plan, but I think it's going to have to be extended. Um, look out for um, Sunny Side of the Dock, which have host a international documentary kind of um, fair in uh, yearly. They hold one in Asia and one in uh, France. I'm trying my best to get uh, the first two episodes pitched at this international fair um, and hopefully get the rest of the series commissioned and hopefully have it wrapped up within a year. And Nicole Bana is the author of the Black Lives in China blog and the kind of budding director, producer, writer. I'm sure you're probably doing it all on the documentary series. If people want to follow all of the developments that are going on, including your blog, what's the best way for people to stay in touch? Um, I think follow me on Twitter. That'd be great. At N Bonner. And also uh, check out the blog. I think that that's a really good place to um catch up with the articles that I'm writing related to the documentary. I also have um, a website that's in the making right now, um, www.blacklivesinchina.com, and that should be up and running within the next few weeks. So and that's a great place to catch up with everything that's going on. That's N-Bonna, B-O-N-N-A-H. And Tiffany Johnson is a teacher, educator, administrator, soon to be, uh, also in Beijing. Tiffany, are you on social media anywhere that people can follow what you're doing? Uh, sure, yes. I am on Facebook. Uh, so I am uh, Tiffany Johnson, uh, 4786 on Facebook. And the school I work with is actually Beijing SMIC Private School. Um, and I will be, you know, doing a lot of things with the on the administrative side there, working on the website. So there will be tons of pictures of myself and, you know, hopefully uh, the things that I'm working on with the school and trying to move it forward. Fantastic. Well, thank you both for joining us. It was an absolutely fascinating discussion. Kobus, if people want to follow what you're doing and, and how to stay in touch with the China Africa Project, tell us what we where they can find us. You can get in touch with us on our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash China Africa Project. And there we run this 24-hour curated feed of China Africa news items. Um, I'm also on Twitter at Stadnesque. That's S-T-A-D-N-E-S-Q-U-E. And we also put out a newsletter every Monday with the top China Africa stories. If you'd like to subscribe to that, just go to either our Facebook page at facebook.com slash China Africa Project or over to our website, chinaafricaproject.com, which I understand ladies is available behind the great firewall in china it goes on it goes off it goes on but for now apparently it is available so uh, and the newsletter does actually make it into the into china so uh, while that's happening i would recommend everybody go now to sign up because you never know how long that will last for and of course if you want to follow this podcast we're on soundcloud which too is also available behind the great firewall from time to time uh, and also you can find us on itunes just go to itunes.com slash china africa podcast we'll be right there Thank you so much for listening to the China and Africa podcast. We'll be back again soon with another edition very soon. Thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm.